What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hello, everyone. I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to a brand new episode of Hi, Jinx, with me, Jinx Monsoon. Today, my guest is the host of the podcast, and just like Matt, he is a writer, an actor, and we talk about our favorite television shows, our least favorite television shows, and where science and witchcraft meet in this crazy world of ours. We're also going to talk about Star Wars, Sex of the City, and just like that. We go all over the place, but it was a really lovely conversation, and I can't wait for you to hear it. All that and more today on some brand new hijinks. So buckle up, hunker down, and sink your teeth into some brand new hijinks. M. Oh. Mom! I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today, we are joined by writer, actor, and podcast host, Matt McConkie. Hi, Matt. Hi, Jinx. Did I say your last name right? You said it beautifully. It's like McDonkey with a C. I mean, that's how it's spelled. So that's correct. <laughs> yeah, it's like McConaughey, but much worse. Where? What's you know? the origins of such a name, McConkey? You know, I think it's <laughs> it's like Scotch Irish or something. I've been told this so many times over my life. My mom would be horrified, but because I was adopted, I knew it wasn't my. I I like. I've always like felt detached from my last name. Uh-huh. Never wanted to be Matt McConkey. When I joined SAG, I always planned on changing my name, but I had to do it very quickly because I booked like a car commercial. And so <laughs> I had to choose immediately, um, like overnight, my uh, SAG name and the fake name I chose was rejected. It was someone else already used it. So I was like, I guess I'll just go with Matt McConk. And now it's like, I'm stuck with this name. I've been trying to get away from my whole life. Wow. You know, names are, (laughs) I've been thinking a lot about names lately because um, this is very candid, but 
you know, as I have been becoming more and more femme presenting and as I journey on my trans femme, non-binary gender journey, um, you know, it's funny when you're like, uh, when you're, when you are trying not to get like constantly clocked or having people like... Mm-hmm. act really confused about you. <laughs> You're always trying to find like, what's the, what's the, conver- uh, wh- how can I direct the conversation? You know? And part of it, um, I'm just, I've been thinking a lot lately. I'm like, I feel like I know how to be perceived the way I want to be perceived until I say my name, Jarek. And then it's just like, it's just like, there's nothing really feminine sounding about Jarek. And I feel like, oh, any chance I had at this being just like a normal conversation is gone now. It's out the window. Yeah, yeah. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. But if you, I mean, I'm I'm assuming most of the time you're meeting a new person, they already know who you are. But if you are ever in a situation where someone might not have put it together, you don't ever introduce yourself as Jinx? Well, I, I introduce myself as Jinx. I pretty much go by Jinx full time. It's mostly yeah. in like, you know, when you're meeting a stranger and they have to look at your ID, you know, it's like at airports right. and at the dispensary and stuff. And I just feel so clocked by the name Jarek. I just feel so like, um, anyway, so I've well, been, I, I, I've been having conversations with my family about possibly changing my first name, which I thought was going to cause a fucking, uh, you know, <laughs> my mom I my whole life I've been told this epic story about my name and blah 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 and the night I was born and and I thought my mom was going to lose her mind but she actually was very receptive so and you know what's funny is if I change my legal name um who's ever going to use it you know everyone's just going <laughs> to keep calling me Jinx it's just Absolutely it's- <laughs> but you should have an ID that you that you that you don't cringe at, that's, you know? That's kind of how I feel, yeah. <laughs> I did I did legally change my last name. I took my husband's name when I got married. So my legal name is Matthew Grassy. And mm-hmm. uh, I should start incorporating it professionally. I just am afraid, afraid that the like 10 people who know who I am will get confused. <laughs> and I don't want to lose whatever traction I have in that department. But <laughs> changing it on, on the ID and passport and everything, Felt real good. It was not as hard as as I thought it would be. Wow. Well, there you go. Um, <laughs> Matt, my listeners may know you from your writing credits on um, the Paramount series Heathers, uh, Bajillionaire Dollar Properties, uh, Ride or Die, starring Marley Shelton and Nene Leakes. Um, and you co-created the Comedy Central series Unsend. Um, but I have to be completely honest. The reason why you're in my life right now is because of your podcast and just like Matt. Now, oh my God, you're listening. Okay, let's get well, into it. I mean, I don't really listen to podcasts, but which is so. which is hilarious because I have a podcast. But the more podcast people I talk to, the more I realize podcast people don't listen to podcasts. But anyway. It's true. Uh, my best friend and housemate listens to podcasts devotedly. And so basically they've made it their job to make me listen to the things I need to listen to. So they have it playing mm. like in the background while we're doing things. And so I've I've been inundated with podcasts in this way. And of course, uh, I end up 
loving them. Now, and just like that has been a huge topic in my household. Another thing that I feel I've been inundated with, but that doesn't mean I don't enjoy it. It's just like, it's like now that I've been sucked in, I've been sucked in, right? You know, right. <laughs> like it wasn't right. my choice, but here I am. Um, so you were not a <laughs> Sex in the City person, no. per se. I see. Okay. I It wasn't until the pandemic, um, same housemate made me watch all of Sex in the City. I, you know, I was kind of like mentally in and out of it, but I know the entire story. I, I mean, like, yeah, I'm sucked in. It's kind of by... It's kind of by force. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's it's a bit it's a bit unavoidable. Yeah. So what motivated you to devote um time of your life to <laughs> discussing I mean, I have a Futurama podcast and I have to ask myself the same question all the time. <laughs> so um let's What are we doing <laughs> with our lives, Jinx? What 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 is this? Let's start with um let's start with uh You've got a lot of writing credits. You got a lot of acting credits. Um, what made you want to do a podcast in the first place? I mean, I've always just been like a you you walk through whatever door opens person. And I I started out as an actor, and like yeah, I, I was you know doing commercials when I was in my twenties, and was like, well, I'm definitely on my way to becoming a movie star. I mean, it's only a matter <laughs> of time. And shockingly, that didn't happen. And I kind of through failure. It led to to writing and then getting some work in in TV and staffing on shows and selling some shows and then it was like okay well I'm clearly clearly I'm I'm the next Shonda you know and <laughs> and then again that hasn't quite happened. so and just through friends in the comedy community was guesting on a lot of podcasts started forming relationships and so I started doing homophilia with Dave Holmes that you were a guest on yeah and um. And we're at World of Wonder. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with them. They, <laughs> they produce some race, things but, here and there. <laughs> um, and so I was just thinking about other other things I could do with my time as I stare into the void. And yeah. the thing that I was doing with most of my time was like um, analyzing and just like that with my friends in a, a million different text threads. And, it, and, and, you know, unpacking the show and these characters that we that we loved, but also just kind of reflecting on what it said about us mm -hmm. and our life. I'm not quite as old as the gals from the show who are like in their mm -hmm. mid-50s now, but, uh, you know, a lot of their experiences reflect some stuff that's going on in my life. And I just felt like that was a that was an interesting way in mm -hmm. to talk about the show. Um, and also, and just like Matt, just, <laughs> it was, uh, it just something my, my husband said <laughs> as a, as a joke on the couch one night. And I was like, and I have my next project. Thank you. Um, so, you know, what's funny is it's, it is one of those things. It's just one of those, cultural things where, I mean, I always talk about how I've never seen a single Star Wars movie. The one that mm -hmm. I tried to watch, it was the weirdest one to start with. I went and saw uh, the the third one of the new generation of, I don't even know how to explain it anymore. It was like the sixth one chronologically, yes, but yes. the third one of the new ones, you know. I went and yeah, sat with that friends. Is not the way. <laughs> no, I went and sat with but, friends, I'm and I'm wearing a princess <laughs> sweatshirt as we speak. I uh, I fell asleep in the theater, so even the one I went to try to see at, <laughs> um, but 
But here's the thing is I know everything about Star Wars. Like I basically yeah. know the story of everything, you know, because it just culturally gets inundated with me, uh, onto me. And Sex in the City and just like that, I do feel like it's the same thing, you know, like everyone knows who those four women are whether they've yeah. ever seen an episode. Everyone knows what those four women represent, the archetypes that they represent from Sex and the City. Now we've got a new cast um, of people that's trying to represent <laughs> the people they never ever represented in the first place uh, yep. in the original series. Yep. Uh, and, you know, I do feel... Like, um, I mean, we could get into that. We could get into the representation in a, in a different moment. But like, you know, I think it's important that there's something female based that stands up to a Star Wars or a or a football, you know, like. Agreed. <laughs> yeah. And it, it doesn't it, it's never gotten the same like cultural respect that, mm-hmm. that all those other things you've mentioned do just because uh, anything that is inherently female is treated as like inherently unserious. Yeah. Frivolous. Frivolous. That, I feel like that show gets treated like it's frivolous, both, both shows, but yeah. you know, it's also like, so what it's TV, like, all what I mean, like it also like in all TV could be looked at as frivolous, Absolutely. but it's what we get from it that makes it more than that. <laughs> yes. And and in some ways it is frivolous intentionally so. And that's mm-hmm. part of what we love about it. And the funny <laughs> thing about like this Star Wars conversation and the fact that I'm wearing a Princess Leia sweatshirt and then I have a this is really a Princess Leia figurine <laughs> from my childhood on my desk is I don't care about Star Wars either. What I care about is Carrie Fisher. Yeah. So people always mistake me for a Star Wars nerd. And I I have Star Wars nerds in my life. I love them. <laughs> Jeffrey Self once said uh, that he wishes there was a Star Wars edit of all of the movies that was just the Carrie Fisher scenes. <laughs> and nothing has ever spoken to me more than that statement. <laughs> well, I'm I'm learning with Star Wars because um uh same same housemate <laughs> is watching what is it? Uh 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 Ahsoka. Um did I oh, say yeah, that yeah. right? Um I and don't think so, but I know what you're talking <laughs> a, about. Ashaki. Um, <laughs> um Rosario Dawson. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're watching Rosario Dawson be an alien right now. And um what I of course love about the episodes I've seen and the clips I've seen is that it's a female led cast and there's witches in it. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, if star Wars had told me about witches a long time ago, maybe I would have gotten sucked in earlier. But as I was watching it and talking about the female led cast and, you know, I was like, Oh, because there were never really like female Jedis in the original stuff. Right. And and um, Kenny was like, yeah, but if you look at the character of Princess Leia and how Carrie Fisher played that character, yes, there wasn't a lot of female representation, but Princess Leia was not like the archety- archetypal damsel in distress. Right. Correct? Not a princess. I mean, <clears throat> the way we people, think of rem- a princess. <clears throat> people remember her in the gold bikini with Jabba the Hutt because that fits a narrative. But... Mm. She also, like, she was a badass, right? 
hundred percent. And she, she was hilarious and dry and so smart and, uh, and a leader. Um, and, and she's got some great scenes in the new, the newer ones, you know, she did right before she died. Yeah. I mean, even as like a young gay boy, I was just like laser focused on her and my parents were thrilled. They were like, Oh, he likes a boy thing for once, but it was like, (laughs) well, yes and no. But what were those things for you as a kid that you were the, the, the movies and the shows and cartoons you were obsessed with? Oh, um, I was just talking about this with my aunt and my mom. Um, we were talking about like just my early life obsession with Elvira. Like I said, all uh, things witches, all things vampy, you know, Morticia, Elvira. And this <clears throat> this is like childhood. Now, I was one of those hot topicy, you know, gothy, punky um, trying to find how I'm going to rebel against the system teenagers. But we're talking about when I was five and I was very cutesy. And, you know, I wasn't macabre at all as a five-year-old. I was a little nerd. I liked singing and I liked my Barbie and I liked, you know, um, well, I was a nerd. But I, but I was always obsessed with the vampy, witchy woman. And... Um, you know, it was kind of a full circle moment because I just was on my my biggest solo tour doing a show where I'm playing, you know, Jinx Monsoon, who at this point in time is a very vampy, witchy woman. Mm. I've kind of grown her into my own, you know, vision of what always inspired me. And then in my Portland show, Cassandra Peterson, um, a.k.a. Elvira, uh, who's become a friend in my life was in the audience and I, <laughs> you know, um, so anyway, that was me humble bragging for a second. No, but like it's not always, at all. It's always been the hyper feminine, like she's got to be hyper feminine, but not weak. And she's got to use her femininity to be powerful. And she's got to have a sense of humor. Like Elvira just sums it all up, you know, like Elvira uses her sex as power, but she doesn't take herself seriously. You know, there's this like naivete around it. It's not like she's this, she's not evil. <laughs> you know, she's, she's yeah. a goof. But she, she is, she is wicked, but yes! not, not in an evil way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, 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 sh- I shared an obsession with witches. I, there's, I have a Wizard of Oz collection on my wall that I would show you if I wouldn't fuck up the, the, <laughs> the computer. But, um, uh, you know, I, I had a major Wizard of Oz obsession. I had a, a big Snow White obsession, but that was specifically around the Wicked Queen. I was the Wicked Queen for Halloween in preschool in Waverly, Ohio. P- very confused uh, uh, classmates there. But I remember having like a little Fisher-Price tape recorder and making a... <laughs> Uh, a, a witch cackle sort of um, collection where I went around and every adult that would indulge me, I would ask them to give me their best witch cackle. I would record it and then play it back for my family <laughs> at night. And so, so strange. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? 
not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly, it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. So I think there are common threads for queer people. You know, we are, I, I know that there's a lot of queer people who resonate with horror. You know, there's a lot of queer horror creators you know, I think what's been kind of amazing recently is all of the lifelong Chucky fans having to come to terms with the fact that the creative Chucky is queer and has always intended for Chucky to have queer elements. And now yes. it's going full throttle in that direction. Um, I, I'm circling around, you know, what I'm trying to get at is queer people were drawn to similar things. Um, and the Sex and the City and Just Like That collective. This is a place where like cis straight women, queer people, <laughs> we all merge together. We all meet in this Venn diagram. What is it that makes, uh, like that draws you into, I mean, we talked a little bit about it. It was a no brainer and just like men. Yeah, yeah. But you gotta have some, like, what is it that makes you feel passionate about talking about yeah. these characters? <laughs> sure. I mean, the fact that the show is, this is not an original thought in any way, <laughs> but um, the show was and always has been a love letter to friendship. And I mean, you know, female friendship when we think about the the original four, but um, most of my close friends are are women, and I have a lot of friendships that that you know reflect different things that we've seen in the show, and I'm just very touched by that. Like that, on the surface, it looks like this is just a bunch of like man hungry ladies looking for a husband but at the end of, i mean they've said it so many times in the show we know we're really the loves of each other's life we're really each other's soulmates and any guy is lucky to come in in fifth um and i don't know i i mean my husband's my best friend i love him more than anything but but that's also been so true for me uh you know in my adult life I, yeah, I think there's something really beautiful there. And now, you know, they're uh, they're in their 50s. They're grieving. They're losing husbands. You know, um, they're coming out of the closet. They're <laughs> realizing that they've got substance abuse problems. Like, they're going through some real shit that so many of my my you know chosen family have have gone through. 
So I love seeing that reflected back. And then there's also the like the TV writer brain that just wants mm-hmm. to sort of analyze every aspect of it and yeah. um and think about like how how would I have done this differently? <laughs> but the internet has had such a great time shooting on the show, you know, and I, I, I don't really need to contribute to that. And, and I don't like necessarily disagree with the, the, some of the harshest criticisms, but I, I still love the show at the end of the day. And so I kind of went into this endeavor, like we're there, believe me, we have our fun. We make our snarky comments, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's much more a love letter than anything. You know, um, I, 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 of course, know all the criticisms um, of both the original show and and this show. There's a lot of criticisms around yeah. the character. Um, che Diaz, there, you know, there were a lot of criticisms of season one. Um, and Ben de la Creme and I talked a lot about it before I even saw a single episode. Mm. But we talked about, because, you know, like you were saying, the writer brain the producer brain, the creator brain is like watching someone else put something out at a time, you know, like it was a show about four affluent, <laughs> privileged white women living privileged, pretty white women lives. It, it, that was the original show. Then they brought it back and it felt like there was a lot of like corrective writing, you know, like we're going to just throw in all these new characters and try to make up for it. And then, and so that was the big criticism, right? Is like, it's obvious what they're trying to do here. And then, um, Dela said something like, well, literally what else could you do? Like, I mean, you know, like what's the alternative to keep ignoring diversity to keep not having representation on the show. And then at the end of the day, the question is you can question whether this show needs to be brought back or not, but if it is being brought back, what the hell else do you expect them to do other than to try to correct things that were problematic about the show in its original state? And so exactly. So season one was kind of all about that, was kind of like, how do we make this show fit into this time where we're not ignoring these things anymore? And now season two feels like it's actually just like that kind of wasn't in my brain at all when when I Mm -hmm. saw what I saw of season two, because I was like, they actually did bring these new characters in and give them the same weight and it wasn't like they brought in token characters. Exactly. They brought in, they brought in fully realized characters to have their own stories. I was kind of like, Oh, Che is still a part of the show, even though they're not with Miranda because they want to keep telling Che's story. And I, you know, there's so anyway, those yeah, are all I, my I, two cents I, on it. I, I agree. <laughs> Believe me, I agree. This is what we talk about on the show all the time. That, and and I think that, you know, there is an argument that maybe they 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 did feel tokenized a, a bit in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that's because they made the, um, I, I would say, braver decision to have the audience meet those characters as new as opposed to what the easier kind of scapegoaty thing would be. 
to come back and um, and just be like, oh, by the way, over the last 10 years, they made a bunch of new friends. And a lot of them happen to be of color, but they're all everybody's friends and they're just in the picture. Mm-hmm. And that's that. And instead, we got to see these white women meet their meet new friends and go down the bumpy road of navigating, you know, their differences and like that's how you become real friends with someone as yeah. opposed to like a friendly acquaintance is if you're willing to like weather discomfort and get to the other side of it and so we you have to you know they they made us go along on the ride of that discomfort and yeah. a lot of people couldn't handle it but i agree <laughs> season 2 they all they have their own stories yeah. you know they they they're they're given equal weight and depth and um yeah. I mean, yeah. I and of course, we are two white people <sighs> with penises right. having this conversation. So That's our right. opinion only means so much. But I want to know. <laughs> I want to um, know um, who who are you? Because I'm 100 percent. A Miranda, but Jinx is 100 percent a Samantha. So uh-huh. I have to say I'm. A Miranda with a Samantha rising. <laughs> That's such a great comparison. <laughs> I I I'll say that I'm a, a Carrie Sun with a <laughs> Charlotte Moon and a Miranda, or sorry, Miranda Moon and a Charlotte rising. Okay. I I feel like Charlotte has Char- this is Charlotte's moment in the spotlight, as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned, because when we were in, during the time of the original Sex in the City, when you ask this question, everybody says that they're a Carrie or a Samantha. Mm-hmm. Nobody wanted to be a Miranda. Nobody wanted to be a Charlotte. And that has changed. I, I, like, I think just as we've all gotten older, it's become more appealing to be like the adult in the room, which <laughs> Miranda often is. You know, maybe to em- embrace some of the nerdier sides of ourselves, like Miranda does, to be the person who like doesn't need to be the center of attention, but um, loves her friends more than anything in the world, which is Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I'm a little bit of of all of those. Like, I, I always felt like a Carrie. There was the writer thing, but also the like constant search for love thing, mm-hmm. and this, you know feeling that I'm like young sledding around West Hollywood, <laughs> uh, you know, p- parade of, of men and just being unlucky in love over and over again. And kind of like, um, I don't know, trying to use that as like fodder for creativity. Um, but I don't know. Now I'm married. We're, we're monogamous. I'm a lot more boring. I'm a lot more Charlotte. <laughs> and I like that. You know, it's funny because when you ask someone that question, usually they're usually they're like a combination of two characters. You know, no one, um, no one ever just. I rarely do people settle on one, but it usually is that they say they're like a mixture of three, and it's that there's just one person they aren't. <laughs> right, right, right. And it's funny because it's like. I would have said for the longest time I'm I'm not at all a Charlotte except I I quit drinking 4 years ago and it wasn't like immediate it wasn't like I quit drinking and immediately I was just you know like the energizer bunny or something but I have been saying recently like 
I think the alcohol made me forget I was a Virgo because mm. <laughs> I realized that in college I was like quite the Virgo. And I feel like Charlotte is a Virgo poster child. I don't know what her, I don't know what the character's sign is, but oh God, she was written like a Virgo. Um, and so I don't know. Recently, in the last year or so, I think it's, uh, you know, getting the meds at the right levels, getting everything. (laughs) Everything's just kind of clicked. And I feel like, oh, my God, I'm a Virgo. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. By the way, I met, I, sh- I can't believe I waited this long to say happy birthday. Yesterday oh, thanks. Was yeah, birthday, it was right? yesterday. Thanks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> How uh, did you celebrate? Uh, video games. Great. <laughs> video As games and chicken wings. Yeah. Um, I'm in LA working because we're writing the holiday show right now. So um, uh, Michael, my husband, came down for the weekend, and then. Um, yeah, but he had to leave Monday morning because um, of my work schedule. And then we ended up taking the day off in the end. And so I just sat with nothing to do. So I played video games and ordered myself some chicken wings. Oh, and then uh, my friend day. Brandon Rogers came over and we watched the movie Talk to Me, which it was the, my second time seeing it. Do you like horror movies? I love horror movies, but but I, I talk to me. I have mixed feelings about you really. Said, so you obviously loved it. If you saw it twice. I, you know, here's the thing: is like I loved the premise. I I'm still working out what I feel about like the plot, but I did love the premise and the acting and the performance, and it was shot well. I'm still like because the ending. You know, the ending, horror movie endings. It all comes down to the ending, right? It all comes down to what's the twist? What's the ending? How are they going to, like, get you at the end? And if if it's not done just right, you're left kind of being like, okay, so what? (laughs) Like, and sometimes it's fun when you have to interpret the ending, but you the, the writing and the movie has to do enough to give you everything you need to put the ending together. And I feel yeah. like I'm pretty good at taking those clues along the way. I'm good at following the breadcrumbs, especially I watched it a second time. I was looking for the breadcrumbs, got to the ending, and I was still kind of like, okay, so I think <laughs> what, they're trying to tell me this. Yeah, so yeah. how did you feel? I agree. <laughs> I agree. I, I was so psyched to see it, and I love mm-hmm. the premise. And 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 in the first act i mean definitely the first 15 minutes i my husband and i are looking at each other like this is a good like we've seen some some turds lately and this is a good one. <laughs> it's shot so well the actors are so it, it feels like a real group of teenage friends which mm-hmm. like almost never is never executed well but i for me once the the horror kicked in i need like 
a little bit of fun in my mm. horror movies. It doesn't mean I don't want a bunch of people to get murdered. I'm <laughs> I'm fine with that. But I I like a like a little more buoyancy, a little more spirit of like I don't know, like almost a playfulness. And it sounds so warped, but you know what I'm saying. And this felt like it falls under this sort of thing that's a little more in vogue now after like Midsummer and Hereditary, mm. where there's like the movie is is very mean spirited. It's like it it feels very. It's like what happens to these characters is 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 really heartbreaking. It's unfair. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I loved um, Hereditary. I loved Midsummer, and and yet I completely see what you're saying. And 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 yeah, it's kind of like when the pathos overtakes the because. The whole I just went to Halloween Horror Nights with Peaches Christ and Vanilla Cram oh, and Michael. How was it? Um, it was it was really good. And it just kind of reminded me that like it's fun to get scared. You know, like mm. there's a reason why. And I I was just thinking about all there was just hundreds and hundreds of people in these lines, and they're waiting like an hour and a half yeah. to go through this haunted house. To be scared because it's fun. <laughs> yeah. And so horror needs to remember that part of why we watch horror is to be scared because it's fun. And if it's all pathos, if it's all your sister getting decapitated because you were driving crazy and, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you know, like I think about that part in that movie so much because oh, of God, yeah. not just what happens, but then the way he deals with it, the way he just goes home, the way to- Tony Collette's performance from that point forward. I mean, like, it was a great movie. The horror was great in it. And also, my God, why did you make me sit through that? Yes, like, why did exactly. you make me it's watch brutal. it? It's like psychological torture. But I'm with I'm going to the horror nights next week. I'm so excited. It's my yeah. favorite thing. And, but I'm I, yeah, I, I there's nothing more fun, but that's because it gives us this like jolt of escapism and yeah Mm -hmm. the jolt comes from thinking like i'm gonna be fucking murdered but then (laughs) you're not and everything's okay and that's why i'm like i mean i i don't know where you are with the supernatural in terms of (laughs) your your ufo slash uaps and ghosts those things like i i don't even know that i would call myself a believer but i i want so badly to believe for similar reason that i love horror where i'm just like there's got to be something better than this. You know, there's got to be yeah. something more than this. Do you know, um, I've been thinking a lot. <laughs> I start every sentence with, I've been thinking a lot about this lately, but it's true. I, I spend a lot of time by myself just thinking things, but I've been thinking. <laughs> oh God, now I've totally forgot. Oh, I um. Okay, so I talk all the time about how I like to understand the science behind things. So, because I believe in science. And when I I practice witchcraft, I'm a practicing witch. Um, I'm all about all of that. And Mm -hmm. I still like to know scientifically why those things help. Mm 
Like, why does a, casting a spell help my brain? How does this, how is this actually just an extension of my therapy? You know, like, um, how is doing this ritual daily helping me beyond the magic I'm, I'm, I'm creating, you know, like what is it actually scientifically, chemically doing to my brain? I like to understand all of that. And then once I understand it, I make the choice to say magic because, (laughs) you know, science, like early science before we understood it, we just called it magic. And um, Futurama had this line in their recent episode where they said, um, uh, highly advanced, uh, highly advanced magic and science should, it should be, um, like I I'm totally butchering the quote, but it's like when magic and science is advanced enough, um, you can't tell the difference from them, mm. you know, like highly advanced magic, highly advanced science. It's the same thing. And so I just, I make the choice to believe that I know that there's scientific reasons for this, but we didn't understand why this stuff happened before. And maybe there's stuff we still don't understand. And maybe, you know, maybe we'll understand it someday. And maybe right now I just want to call it magic. (laughs) Yeah, it it, it makes sense because even if you try to imagine as best we can, like what is the what is like current science taken to its most extreme degree? And it's, it's AI, you know, it's AI that can read our minds. It's AI that can do things that we never thought was possible before. It does, it eventually does merge with, with magic. Yeah. And just like you said, like my life has gotten more fun and more enjoyable when I've opened my mind and my heart and myself up to witnessing and experiencing magic. You know, when I tell myself to open my mind up to the experiences and don't let that cynical part of my brain say, no, it couldn't possibly be magic because butterflies are migrating this time of year, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. I've been seeing a lot of butterflies lately and it's been feeling really impactful to me. And there was a time where 13 bees were just living in my room, but not bother- bothering me in <laughs> in Wales recently. Wow. These bees came in. I think they were attracted to my weed. And I always left the window open in my hotel room. And these bees came in and were just living in my room, but not bothering me at all. Just keeping to themselves, really chill. I think they were stoned. I think they were trying to pollinate my weed that I left out. They got stoned <laughs> and then they stayed. But I just thought it was cool that I was like living in this room with bees and they weren't bothering me and I wasn't bothering them and that felt like magic. You know? Yeah, you, you became like the queen bee, which <laughs> exactly. feels very right. It feels very fitting. When you open yeah. yourself up to that stuff, it can be fun to say, these bees and I have connected for whatever reason. Yeah, know? absolutely. And and I think anyone who, like, it, whether we're talking about Wicca or just like spirituality, any anything that might fall into a woo-woo category, people are so quick to dismiss that as like Mm anti-intellectual and they don't, they're not mutually exclusive necessarily for some Mm -hmm. people they are, but for you, you're, you know, you're you're the smartest person in the room. (laughs) Um, who's also a a practicing witch who's, you know, (laughs) the queen bee. So (laughs) 
<laughs> well, um, <laughs> I, I just find that life is, you know, you like, I say this all the time, life is too short to live it unhappy. And that goes for finding your identity. And that goes for making the choices in your life. And, and don't be afraid of something because it seems silly or unintellectual, be it witchcraft or sex in the city or star Wars. We, it's all about what we get out of it. You know, like I like to say, (laughs) I don't like the show friends, but I oftentimes find myself if it's on cable and I'm in a hotel room, if it's on, I'll put it on and I'll just sit there and analyze the performances and analyze the script writing and and try to understand why they thought this gay panic joke was going to be so funny. And like yeah. <laughs> and then I sit there and I think were Ben Stiller and like Matt LeBlanc were were they homophobic at the time or did they just think this will make people laugh? You know, like I like to think about all of that because then it helps me better understand how to create work for now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. It's so funny. It was, as we're talking, a, a hummingbird is like trying to get into my house. It's, it's like uh, aggressively uh, coming up to the window. I think that that they can sense that I'm talking to James. <laughs> Have you ever dabbled in a sport? Oh, I took Taekwondo lessons as a child. No, um, <laughs> as a teenager, I started dancing. And so dance was always my sport in life. And then um, as an adult, now I I can't think of the last time I've tried to play a physical sport. No. <laughs> I mean, me neither. I, I was... You know, I, I was a, a super femme child, very scared of of sports, avoided gym class and all things athletic, like the plague. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's it's so humbling to learn a sport as an adult. Luckily, with pickleball, like everybody's kind of learning when you're. I'm playing with people who are in their 80s who are amazing. Um, and it just doesn't have the same like toxic jockey. I mean. That, that it exists in the pickleball world, but um, <laughs> it is a little, it's just like a, a safer space, yeah. uh, you know, for, for lack of a better term. And so I think in some weird ways, it has been very healing hmm. um, to, to do that again, still quite bad at it. Shockingly <laughs> for how long I've been playing, it's actually embarrassing how bad I still am, but um, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. So there's stuff like that, 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 I don't know. I have time for it right now. That trying to make yeah. the best of it. And, yeah, get to have I conversations o- like this. Yeah, I only ask because, of course, you know, the pandemic was a um, was a time that, like, you know, we were at home, <laughs> mm-hmm. not by our choice. And as Drew Barry point Drew Barrymore pointed out, um, the strike is happening, and the pandemic also happened. <laughs> That's right. Those are two. Those are true those are two things that do. happened. Um, uh-huh. So uh, <laughs> no, it does feel kind of like you know, like I said, it. it, it I, not much has changed in my life since my acting work is you know like it's one job I do a year, 
Um, but it does, it's really nerve wracking as someone who is, I mean, I've been in the industry for a while, but like, you know, things ebb and flow. <laughs> and yeah. It's scary when the momentum stops, um, especially when the momentum stops because of something completely out of your control. You know? Exactly. <laughs> so I'm sure there are a lot. I mean, we we know about the actors and the writers who are like lifers who are just now suddenly out of a job. But then there's also the young people or the people who were getting their start. And that's, you know, it's a very, very uncertain time for basically everyone. So I like to focus on, you know, we're doing something radical. It's it's having a message that is going way beyond the entertainment industry. You know, um, I think it's making a lot of people question the systems in which we operate. And what I'm kind of tickled by is it's making a lot of the evil CEO billionaire assholes that we're fighting. It's making a lot of them show their ass. You know, a lot of them are running their mouth. And I am like, do you remember the French Revolution? I mean, it might not be a guillotine, but canceling can do pretty much the same thing, you know? Oh my God. It's like, like we're getting close to Les Mis here, I think. I think, yeah, because in the beginning, everybody was like, they were like these. These guys don't give a shit if the public doesn't like them. They're mm-hmm. they're so insulated by their wealth. Like they're they're un, they're not touched by any of that. It's never going to affect them. And it I and we are starting to see that happen. And I, a lot of these people, even though they will never, uh, you know, they can retire today and still be some of the richest yeah. men in the country. They still want to be liked. Nobody wants to be the villain, you know, and mm-hmm. they, God, they have really shown themselves exactly as you said, they've shown their assets as, as villains, but I'm, I'm still optimistic. I still see yeah. the tide turning soon. I am optimistic because I do know how much social opinion weighs. Yeah, I am optimistic, but the thing that has been the most incredible to me is that it's happening in the entertainment industry and entertainment. Like what is every other story in film and TV about? It's about taking on the big oppressive overlord, every fucking other story. It's about taking on the oppressive power that is exploiting the people and the people being the good guys and the oppressive power being the bad guys and the fact that they can't just immediately look at the work that they have put into the world yeah. that they and didn't put those, into the world all, those that they oversaw, end. you know, like, but they, like, they weren't the artists creating it, but like, did you watch it? Did you watch the movie your studio put out? How are you not learning the lessons? <laughs> yeah, that's Star Wars. That's you know, Star you don't have Wars. to have seen all nine of them to get that that's Star Wars. And it uh, now does not end well for Darth Vader. It does. It does. Oh wow. Um, Matt. What a wonderful conversation this has been. So natural, so breezy, so easy. Um, <laughs> I do have compulsory questions that I ask every guest. So I'm going to ask Great. you those on the way out. But first, um, we know about your podcast and just like Matt, 
Um, Matt McConkey, where can my followers um, find you? Uh, follow what you do. Where can they? Where can they get on the McConkey train? <laughs> the McConkey, McConkey bus. McDonkey train. Uh, I'm on Instagram at the Matt Grassy. Wonderful. And that's that. <laughs> And that's that. I don't know where else you want to find me. Phone number? Should I get on my address? No, and and you've got, and just like Matt, um, which boasts (laughs) the honor, um, you are blocked by Kim Cattrall on social media, but you have no idea why. (laughs) I don't know why. I mean, I guess in in the opening credits of the show, I do say this show is a religious movement with uh, United in, in our faith and mission to uh, bring Kim Cattrall back full time. <laughs> and, and that's clearly not something she wants to do. I, I get it. And maybe it's giving st- stalkery vibes for her, <laughs> but that was never my intention. Yeah. Like I said, it's a love letter. I don't know. I just feel I still much like the strike. I'm optimistic that <laughs> uh, we can also heal that rift. Yeah. Um, I still think that's possible. Um, I, yeah, I was a shock to be blocked by her, but I consider it an honor. I felt the same way, you know, when Kirstie Alley blocked me. And it was for a lot of things. It was like, I'm glad you blocked me because I'm not really a fan of the things you're putting out into the world these days. But also, mm. like, it was like, oh, wow, this woman who was a big part of my childhood blocked me <laughs> it's kind of a funny <laughs> um, you really arrived forget forget elvira being in the, in the audience of your show and becoming a friend i mean that's when you know you've arrived is when kirstie may she rest may she uh, rest um so matt mcconkey uh if you don't do something called a mcconkey show <laughs> <laughs> in Tijuana. Okay. Um, uh, Matt McConkey, um, I have compulsory questions. You may answer them however you like. The first question is, who is your celebrity crush today? Oh, God. Um, who is my celebrity? I had such a good answer for this, and now it is it's it has slipped through my fingers. I mean, I'm going to say Michael B. Jordan. Okay. <laughs> just because I, I i feel like that's that's never not going to be true you know <laughs> yeah yeah that's what i say for um like uh who's my go-to <laughs> you know what he's getting he's like <laughs> andy samberg looks more uh. and more like a dad every day he has not stopped being attractive to me <laughs> It works. James Marsden, always attractive. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Even more so after after Jury Duty. Did you watch Jury Duty? Yes, yes, yes. He's so great in it. Oh, he's great in it. And um, what, uh, who's, oh, Eric Andre. Eric Andre, always attractive to me. And I I think I drove past his house the other day. Anyway. um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Next question. We talked about it some today. Feel free, free to extrapolate however you feel. Um, are you spiritual? I I am. Yeah, I'm. Uh, listen, I was um, a big Marianne Williamson follower for a mm-hmm. long time. I still have a lot of love for her. Wish she wasn't running for president, <laughs> but I do feel like I I gained a lot of, of 
you know, from those, she used to do big talks in LA on yeah. Monday nights. I don't know if you ever made it to one of those. Um, and now, I mean, this is even cringier and harder to say, but I'm doing the artist's way. Uh, have you ever done it? No. <laughs> I mean, you don't need to. You're already living the artist's way. But you know what it is. You do your morning pages every mm-hmm. day. You do an artist date once a week. It, like These are things that I've heard so many times that like they don't even have meaning anymore. And it was really mm-hmm. when I heard Maria Bamford say she was doing that, that I was like, maybe I'll actually try it now. It's, it's been a few weeks and it does. Uh, it It has helped. Like a little bit of depression has lifted and <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling a little more creative than I was. Yeah. I, I always, whenever I can, I like to go check out just any show, like honestly, <laughs> any show. Um, and I like to go in completely blind and I learn just as much from terrible shows as I do from wonderful shows, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nothing's better than a terrible show with a big budget. That's right. <laughs> they got a lot to teach you. Yeah. Um, my final question for you. Uh, what is your go-to karaoke song? My go-to karaoke song is Careless Whisper. What was that? A Careless Whisper. A Careless Lam. Whisper. Wham, I just watched a documentary on Wham with Michael. Very interesting story there. <laughs> I don't know if I know the song A Careless Whisper. You do. Is that I'm never going to dance again? I'm not going to oh, sing yeah, it well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. I didn't know that's the title of the song. I'm never going to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's with the saxophone solo, right? Absolutely. Do you know, I always cite that saxophone solo as the reason why I hate saxophones. <laughs> I fucking hate, I played saxophone in uh, middle school and high school, and I hated it so much. I don't know what it is about the noise that I like. A, I like like a deep sax, like a bar- baritone mm-hmm. sax. I like it in jazz. I like it in big band. But when it's like that 80s rock ballad and the sax comes in like a porn mm-hmm. hook, you know, it just never resonated with me, but it's iconic. Okay. Matt McConkie, I've taken <laughs> up enough of your time. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, thank you for your candid discussion. Um, and thank you for your optimism. You brought a lot of optimism to this conversation today. <laughs> what an honor, Jinx. Thank you so much. I don't know what uh, uh, you know secret lottery I won to get you to have me on the show, but I, I'm very grateful. Oh, well, there was no lottery. I'm easy. Spread it around. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Thank you so much, Matt. And thank you all so much for listening to Hi Jinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon and we have new episodes every Wednesday. So make sure to search for Hi Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at the Jinx on Instagram or at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else. And I'll see you next Wednesday for some more. Hi, Jinx. M. Oh. M. Mom. 
To listen to Hijinks one day early and ad free, sign up for Mom Plus at mompodcasts.plus. Hijinks is produced by Moguls of Media, aka Mom, hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon, and produced by Joseph Shepard. Editing and sound design by Will Pitts. Executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Big Dipper, and Joe Cilio. <laughs>